We're going to be over in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Passion, as we know, is an important ingredient to anything that will become important or already is important in our life. Good passions yield good things. And bad passions bring about bad things. We're looking today at how passion affects our genuineness in worship as well as how we bring honor to God. We looked last week at the incident around the fiery furnace and how surely that tests the genuine aspects of of people. We saw that some people probably bowed the knee and just said, well, we're not genuinely into this. We're not genuinely going to, to worship this, but we just bow and I'll just worship something else. But that causes your worship to become lessened. And the devil is just as glad if you will do that as if uh, you would go full board into the false worship. But we don't need to go after false worship. We want to go after true worship. We want to learn how to become genuine in true worship and how to have worship turn our lives around. So we've been in a series honoring God, looking how to honor God, and surely we bring honor to Him in the worship that we give to our, give to our Father. One thing we looked at last week is you cannot be like others and be genuine. The three Hebrew children knew we cannot bow just like everybody else and be genuine. It's not in us. It's got to be in you. We told you that we're all made differently. There's different things that are in us. Some people are more inclined in a certain direction than others. You do not have to become like everyone else. God doesn't want everyone else to be the same. He wants uniqueness. He's made us unique. And just because one person expresses worship in one way doesn't mean that you would be genuine in doing so. It means you would be a copycat. You'd be going after what they're doing. Nor does it mean that you can just hide behind the excuse, well, that's just not me. If God has called for it, if God asks you for it, there are some things you need to step out on and to do. And some of them will challenge you. But that's all right. You are up to the challenge. But just know, if you want to go into those new depths, if you want to pursue new depths in worship, it isn't going to come just by walking in all the things you already have walked in, and it won't come through mere imitation. You've got to let the Spirit of God bring out what is in you. Many times people hide behind this thing, well, that's not me in worship. That's not me. That's not how I am. But actually, all that it is, is you have suppressed who you are, and you don't let who you are come out. And if you're going to be genuine with God, you've got to let what is on the inside of you come out. For some people, that's that's uh, that's dancing a lot more than other people would be. And but just don't think, well, I'm just not going to. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Then I'm not going to do it. There's a fine line. And we serve a God who knows who we genuinely are, and He knows when we are hiding and holding some of that back, and when we are not. David let his whole genuine self come out. It caused some people to despise him, but it caused other people to love him. But more importantly, it caused God to say, look at that guy down there. That's David. In Genesis chapter 4, we haven't gone over this in a couple of years, about four years. Uh, Probably not one of those ones that people go to a a whole lot, but it is something important, especially in the aspect of worship, to understand the truths that come from here. In verse 1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. 
Understand, this does not mean Cain is the firstborn child on the face of the earth. It means he is more than likely the firstborn male child of Adam and Eve. It does not mean that he did not have a sister before that. She was exclaiming because she acquired a man-child from the Lord. She may have had a daughter, two daughters before that, and just didn't make mention of them because they weren't relevant to this particular part of the story. Adam and Eve had a lot more than two kids. But these two are the ones that are mentioned here at this time. So they could have had a daughter, two daughters, then had Cain, then had maybe a couple more daughters, and then had Abel. We don't know. The Bible didn't tell us. But just don't think that just because it says, well, they had Cain and they had Abel, that's all they had at that point. That's not. Because as you can see, they've grown up and they're, they're tending flocks, they're growing uh, fields, uh, and we're still not mentioning anybody else in the, in the family. More than likely, there were other people mentioned, there were other people born in the family by that point. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now Cain and Abel, they each brought what they had. That's what they had. Cain had... He had fruit. He had stuff that you would grow out of the ground. Abel, he had sheep. Now what the Bible does not mention here, but you'll know this is true, is that up until a certain point, Cain brought the same offering as Abel. Because when they were real young, and they had to bring an offering, who brought the offering? Mom and Dad. What would mom and dad have brought? They would have brought what God asked them to do. What God had showed them. Because Jesus himself showed them this is what the sacrifice is. This is what you will do. They knew firsthand what to do. So all the while they're growing up, Cain and Abel are involved in a sacrifice for themselves that involved blood. At some point, Cain veers off of this. At some point, he leaves what mom and dad have shown him to do. He leaves what God had shown them to do. And he decides, what I have is fruits. I don't want to go and acquire something else. I want to use what I have. Have you ever thought about that in your worship before God? I only want to do what I have. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't like doing that. So I'm not going to do that. I know the Word of God says that I should shout, but I don't like shouting. So I'm not going to shout. I don't have that. I'm not. No, there's, there's some things times you need to go out and acquire what it is that God said to get. You need to go out there and, and get it. But at some point, Cain decided, even though he had gone out and acquired them in the past, At some point, he decides, I am not going to do it anymore. And he decided, fruits is what I have. Fruit will be sufficient for God. It's what I have. It's what I want to do. 
I don't want to go and swap things with my brother. I don't want to go and buy something different. I want to use what I have. Because Cain obviously had sacrifices offered when he was younger. And at some point he just, he, he broke off on his own and was doing it on his own and decided, you know what, I know this is what I've been told, but I'm, I'm not comfortable. I don't like going this way. That's not for me. I don't like all this bloodshed. That's why I'm over here with the fruit. I don't like all that killing. That's my brother. That's not what I, that's not what I have. Now this is often referred to as the, uh, the first religion. In the Word of God. Religion is basically man's way to reach God. Religion is just that. It's man's way to reach God. How does man say that you ought to do it? We don't want to reach God man's way. We want to reach God God's way. We want to do what God said to do. This is the first attempt. Not the last. Many people have done this after that. Adam and Eve, they were taught. This is how you sacrifice. They taught it to their kids. We're only looking at one generation away. There was something inside of Cain that was different from Abel. He wanted to go in a way that he approved of and not follow the instructions from God. That didn't seem to be in the in Abel, but it seemed to be in Cain. Now, Abel's offering is respected by God. We know that from Hebrews 11 and 4. But Cain doubted God's way. Now, would we, we see from this that, that uh, God did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was what? Very angry, and his countenance fell. If Cain had no passion for God, if he had no care for God, would this bother him? No. The reason that Cain is angry, and the reason that his countenance fell... Is because he has a passion for God. If he had no passion for God, why in the world bring the sacrifice to begin with? Why not just go in a whole other direction? I'm not going to do these sacrifices at all. But he had a passion for God. And he wanted to bring what he had instead of what he had to go get. So there was a change in direction for Cain. This change in direction occurred when his passion became corrupted. You see, there are two problems with passion. Passions are good, but there's two problems with passion. One is when good passions become corrupted. And the, the second is when bad ones surface. Now some people, they didn't know they had a bad passion in them, but then all of a sudden, something comes along and waters that bad passion. And it comes out. You know, some people, when they're poor think they don't have any bad passions. But then when the money comes in, what happens? Oh, now I have the ability to pursue some of those bad passions. See, before they were too poor to do it. It wasn't that they weren't wasn't there, it's just that they couldn't do it. But now that the money came in, they can go ahead and, and pursue those. Now the money didn't create the evil, the evil was there. That's how money gets a bad name. People think, well, money is a, a bad thing. Better if you don't have money. No. It's better if you don't have the evil passions. Don't have those things on the, on the inside of you. You know, some people, they, they, they look at, at things that are going on, look at people who get drunk all the time. And say, well, they just have a, 
have a passion for that. Well, they may never have known they had a passion for that until they had money to go out and get the, the alcohol. Some people got bothered with drugs. They may not have known that if they didn't have the opportunity, the way to, to uh, procure the, the drugs. There's a lot of things that are in us, but they don't have a way out. It's not that, the, that we are walking in a certain perfect kind of a way. It's just that those bad things haven't been able to get out just yet. So here Cain, this was probably on the inside of him, and now has had the opportunity to come out. This was a change of direction for him. He decided, I'm going to go in a different way. Now, for many today, passions for worship has been corrupted. You'll see that some things that are foreign are added. What is asked for is removed or changed. And what I feel is right is what I will do. Now, there are, there are some things that I understand that are cultural in worship. And I try not to, I try to keep my passions out of things that are cultural. There are some ways of the way people express themselves. There are some types of music that people use. There are some just, just things that are different. They're just cultural. And the Bible has not told us worship shall be this, 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 and this. And so we, we sometimes think that the way we do it is the, is the Bible way. Uh, but we don't have that necessarily in the, in the Word of God. We have to be careful. But when I begin to see people add things that to me begin to corrupt the passion, you'll see something else rise up on the inside of me. And I will, I will come against it. And I will, I will kick it out. I kick some things out of here faster than, um, it, because it's, it's corruption. It's, it's wrong. Uh, I won't say, I'm not going to lump this all into the same category, but one of the things that you, that you folks who have been around here for a long time know that I've gotten, has gotten my fire up and I've actually left my seat when this kind of stuff is going on is some of that flag stuff. Some of the people with the flags. Now, I'm not saying that if I walk into a church and they got a bunch of people in the front and they're doing some kind of choreated flag thing, I'm not saying I would go in there and tell them that they're all wrong. Isn't it? It's not an avenue I would pursue. But I'm not going to go in there and tell them I'm wrong. But when I got somebody who wants to spout off doctrine that if you have this flag and wave it this way that these demon spirits have to listen to you, you're out. That's corrupted worship. You're not bringing that in here. And I saw, we, I knew one person who had this and they tried to sneak off in the back of the church here. And this is a long time ago. This is before we did all this. Some, a couple people nodded. They were here for, the, for that one. They tried to sneak off in the back of the church and tried to wave these flags. I knew what they were believing. I walked back here, put that away. We don't do that here. And they tried to act all innocent. And, uh-uh. Get it out. And they got it out and they never brought it in again. But if you don't stand up to that sort of stuff, they'll try and bring it on in. They'll, they'll corrupt the worship. You don't want that to, to happen. The thing that takes care of demon spirits is the name of Jesus. I'm not bringing in anything else. There's no flag you can, you can fly. There's no horn you can blow. That'll, that'll change that. It's the name of Jesus. Don't take away from the name of Jesus. That's all I need is the name of Jesus. You come against the devil, you come against it in the name of Jesus. And anybody wants to corrupt that or bring that, we're not going to do that. That's not a different aspect of worship. That's not cultural. That's wrong. So we have to make sure we stand on guard for that. But there are some people, and they just, they, they go in a different direction. And it's just their culture. That's what they were growing up with. That's part of them. That's how they expressed. That's fine. That's all right. 
it becomes bad if I try to make other people line up with my culture and other people try to make me line up with their culture because I can't do that and be genuine. Now, maybe I can hang around with it for a little while. Maybe it can get to be a part of me and then I can, I can be genuine about it. But uh, don't feel that you've got to change people around you. You've got to be genuine yourself. But many today have... Their passion for worship has been corrupted. See, this is one of the ways the devil wants to go. If you've got good passions in you, he's going to try and corrupt them. If he's got, if you've got bad passions in you, he's going to try and bring them out. Because either way, we're going to take those passions and we're going to steer you in a, in a wrong direction. You see, if you go after the wrong kind of passion, the wrong kind of way, get too focused on it, you can cause yourself some problems. We saw that even in the, this country, you know, I, I don't know how strong it is anymore. I know it used to, I used to hear a lot more about it, but eating disorders would come out because people would become passionate about losing weight. And then they became passionate about exercise. And then that passion, which can be a good passion to, um, to stay healthy and to keep yourself in a, a certain way, but you can get un, unhealthy with it too because you get so focused on trying to uh, count the calories. How many calories am I eating today? That you have no freedom. And you, you can't go out there and you, oh no, I can't eat that. No, that's too many calories for me. And if we do eat something, well, now we got to go out and exercise more. And we're so focused on all these things that all of our freedom is gone. All of our fun is gone. Pretty soon that's the whole focus of things. The body begins to take a, a bad turn because we're not giving it the nutrition that we have. And a lot of times this is brought on by people who put pressure on folks to be like everybody else. You know, some people are made to be thin. And some people are not. And the people that are made to be thin got to stop making the people that are not made to be thin to be thin. And the people that are not thin got to stop making the people that are thin trying to be like them. I've had people try to get me to be bigger. I don't want to be bigger. I like just the way I'm at. I'm at. I'm very, I'm about five pounds over what I went to college. I went to college at about 145, 146. I'm now at about 151, 153. Stay, stay around there. I'm comfortable there. I like it there. I've had people all the time tell me, you need to gain weight. I tell them, I do not. I am happy where I am. Now I am thinner than most people that are my, my size. Then that's all right. But I've had people tell me I'm going to be unhealthy. Things aren't going to be right. Things you shouldn't be that skinny. I've had people try to accuse me because I run so many miles that my miles are because I'm trying to stay thin. I said, I don't care what my weight is. I just want to run and I'll eat what I need to eat. And But I've stayed this way for a long, long time. Now you take somebody else who's bigger bone than I am and you try and say, you need to get down to this kind of a weight, that's wrong. They're never going to do it. They'll hurt themselves trying to get them their body into something else. This is why football is such a great sport. Usually it used to be. I don't watch it anymore. But I used to enjoy it. But you look at a football team, and you got some people that are born to be linemen. You cannot make a defensive lineman a defensive back. They, 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 they don't, they won't, it won't ever work. Ever. 
That body will never do the things that a defensive back needs to do and you can't put a defensive back on a defensive line. They'll get killed. you got different body types and that's one sport that takes advantage of all the different body types that are out there and finds a use for them. And they don't try and make them into, into something else. Let's see who you are and let's make you into the best that you can be. That's where we got to be comfortable with ourselves too. I got to understand who I am. Now, some people still have not realized who they are in the area of worship. And they're still being something different. They're not being who God made them. They can't be genuine because they haven't figured that out yet, who they are. But here we go in verse 6. We're going to see the end result of this. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There's a whole lot in that statement. But the Lord's speaking to Cain. That means that Cain is seeking God. That means that Cain is, is, is coming after God. God, why is it this way? I want to go this direction with you. I want to take what I have and bring it to you. And God says, no, I'm not going to take that. And he's hearing that. And he goes to God to find out about this. We're not looking at a man who's against God. We're looking at a man who has a passion for God, but that passion has been corrupted. The Lord says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Who do we have to do well in the sight of? i got to do well in the sight of God. There's a whole lot of Christians out there trying to do well in the sight of other people. I want other people to look at me and accept me. And look at me as doing good. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. God wants us to do well. But he said sin is at the door. I've used this example before. I can't think of any better example of it than this. If you, in your home, how many have ever had bugs in your home? Yeah, we don't like bugs in our home, do we? It doesn't matter what bug it is. If it's an ant, we don't like it in our home. If it's a fly, we don't like it in our home. If it's a mosquito, we do not like it in our home. Roaches, you name it, we don't like them in our home. Outside is fine. That's where bugs belong. And my granddaughter, we had had conversations about that because she was on a kick for a little while to hate all bugs. And so if she saw them outside, she's ready to destroy them. She's ready to kill them. No, no, no. Bugs outside, this is good. This is where they be. This is their home. Our home is over in here. But if she saw a, an ant in the house, I mean, she'd go after that ant. She'd pick that ant up in her fingers and she'd squish it. And she'd crush that ant. And that ant, once it was dead, it was crushed again. It was just crushed until there was nothing left of it. That's okay when you're inside. See, inside, we don't want bugs inside. Bugs outside? All right, we may not like it, but uh, but we can live with the bugs outside. I don't want the bugs in the house. In the house, we've got to keep the bugs out. God says, sin is at the door. It's waiting to get in. It's kind of like, you know, your mom used to say when you were growing up. Close the door, you're going to let the bugs in. Close the door. Always telling you, close the door. Close the door. Not even enough time for you to get outside. Close the door. Close the door. 
Bugs are coming in. Dad's never seemed to bother bother with that too much. In a minute. If the door stays open for a minute, two minutes, then they might start getting involved. But, you know, seconds, we dads don't care. But the moms, they're right on it. We're watching. We don't want those, we don't want them bugs coming on in. Because if they come on in, they get on your food, they get in your face. They're just, they're a nuisance. God says, it is lying at the door. Don't let it in. It sees your passion. Sin sees your passion. It wants to get in there and it wants to corrupt it. It wants to change it. It wants to alter it. All right. You've got a good passion on the inside of you. Now we've got to alter it. We've got to take it in the wrong direction. And people who had been worshipers of God in a good direction got off on some things with flags. They got off on things with the shofar. They got off on things with whatever it might be. Just something that, all right, it's in, maybe the shofar's in the Bible. Maybe flags aren't in the Bible, but people are teaching things about it. And they just took something that was good and they steered it in a wrong direction. Just, just a little bit wrong. And then a little bit more wrong. They corrupted the passion. And then all of a sudden you see people that are doing things in worship and you're saying, how, what? You don't worship God that way. That's not the kind of thing that you would, you would do. We told you the story before. We went out to this, this church. This is a long time ago. I don't know how many years this ago might have been. Uh, probably predates almost everybody here, except for maybe two or three. <laughs> are not many that have been here. But we went, we took the worship team and we went out to this church over in New Jersey because somebody that I knew from Tulsa was there. And I love this worship leader. He was one of my favorites. He's the worship leader at my church when I was in Tulsa. And we heard that he was going to be at this church and so we took the whole worship team and we went out there to go and to see him. And so we went to, to experience this. And the worship was so loud. We never saw, didn't see him for a while. Well, his name was Daniel. Uh, didn't see him for a while. But the worship was so loud, you, you could not hear what someone right next to you was saying. And they were speaking loudly. I don't mean they were whispering. They spoke loudly. What? Couldn't, couldn't hear. And this one person, I think there's others too, but this one in particular just took note, got in the aisle and started dancing, a dance you would assume would come from a bar. And this was acceptable in this, this, this church. This is what was, was going on. And I sat there and I said, I am sure that Daniel does not know what he was walking into because I don't think he would have come. And they uh, just kept carrying on for a while and, uh, and, and going on about things. And they finally let Daniel get up and do some stuff. And then he was, he was down. We didn't get very much experience time with him. And then on the way out, we found out that the, uh, the worship leader at the time, his, his uh, leather jacket got stolen in the back of the church. <laughs> he wasn't too happy about that. But you see, worship can become corrupted. They still gathered to worship God. They still sang songs about God. But what they were doing didn't seem to have the same honoring of God that it once did. They had gotten corrupted. They had gotten off and just started to train to, to go off in a little bit of a direction here. And this is how you've seen some moves of God go on in this country. Great moves of God. But then people tried to keep that move going longer than God wanted it to go. 
God moved on it for a couple of weeks. But they said, no, no, we got to keep this going. And they kept it going for years. And then other stuff was happening. This is where you had the stories, you know, hearing people howling like dogs, clucking like chickens, and, and things of this nature. Well, we got to be careful that our good passions don't get corrupted and our bad passions don't get ignited. But this is something the devil's going to certainly try and do. And other people will come along and they'll see folks worshiping God doing some of these crazy things and then they just get turned off to it altogether. They feel justified. Well, I saw what was going on over there. No, understand he said this to you before. Sin lies at the door and his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should rule over it. You should be able to say, no, I understand this is wrong. This is the wrong direction. I'm not going in that direction. I'm not pursuing this. When you pursue the things of God, when you are after the things of God, the Spirit of God will tell you, wrong pursuit. Don't go that direction. Nope. Nope. Don't go, don't go off there. All right, I'm not sure why, but something's wrong there. So we gotta listen to those, to those things. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I put this in your outline for you. I've given you this one before. It's good to be reminded of it. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions will not survive. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions will not survive. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions for God will not survive. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions for your spouse will not survive. Under the strain of bitterness, right passions for your kids will not survive. You can keep the list going going on. Whenever you allow bitterness to come in, the right passions will get corrupted. That bitterness puts a strain on them. You've got to make sure that you keep it out. God tried to do this with Cain. Cain, you're getting angry. You're getting bitter. You need to not have this go on. If this goes on, sin's at the door. It's waiting to get in. And it got in. But God warned them about it. God told them. You need to be careful. You see, without passion, bitterness can't find its footing. If you did not have a passion for something, you could not get bitter about it. Because you wouldn't care. We'll just do a, we'll just do a, a, a small poll right here. How many people could care less if football is starting up like Brother Keith said in the beginning here? How many really don't care that football is starting up? Right. So if the NFL passes a new rule, Changing something, how many of you, you just don't care? I mean, you don't get bitter about it? I, I just, I don't care. Because you have no passion for it. If you had the passion for it, you would care. But you have no passion for it. I don't care. I don't care what the NFL does. Because it's, it's the passion that comes about. So you see, the devil knows that if he's going to corrupt something in this way, it's got to be something that you have a passion about. It's got to be something that you, that you love, something that you care about. Because if it's something that you don't care about, 
I don't care what they do. I care what happens. You know, they have all these healthy food stores open up. How many have been into a healthy food store? Yep. How many people do not care about healthy food stores? Yep. I just will give me the unhealthy food stores. Yep. <laughs> so when they open up a new healthy food store, the people that have no passion for organic or grass-fed or whatever else that they, they may be doing, people who have no passion for that get care less. Why do I want to drive there and spend twice as much? I'm going to go over here. But the people who have a passion about it, oh, did you hear? They opened up a new, whatever they're called, a new, oh, I'm so glad it's so much closer. And you, you talk, to, talk about that to somebody who has no passion for it. They say, well, why, why would I care? I don't, want, I don't want all that stuff. You know, I'm, my, uh, my running buddy, He's a gluten-free guy. He goes after all the gluten-free stuff. I'm, I'm gluten excess. I'll take all your gluten and your gluten. Come on. I, I, I don't care. So, um, you know, we, we'll have some fun with, with some of that stuff, but he's got a gluten-free household. And I forget whether it, it just is helpful for him or if it's a necessity. I, I think it's more just helpful. And there's some people in the house that it's more of a necessity for. But they, he goes about and he finds stuff that's, that's gluten-free and it still tastes good to me. I don't care. If it says gluten-free, it's out. It's gone. Because I know gluten-free means taste-free. Generally. Now, he found some things. You know, he shared them with me. And try this as gluten-free. Man, that's good. I'm surprised. But um, that doesn't happen too often. But you see, when you get passionate about something, then you can get pulled along in those, in those lines. As you're being pulled along in those lines, you can be steered into a wrong, wrong direction. You know, gluten-free people might feel like, well, everybody needs to be gluten-free. Well, that's the wrong direction. You know, gluten doesn't seem to bother me at all. And, and don't think, well, you just haven't never stopped. Yeah, when I was having some issues with, with something, somebody said, well, start gluten-free. I went gluten-free for a while. All it did was I didn't enjoy stuff. And number one on my list, as far as calories is concerned, bread and pasta. Yep, that's gluten city right there. <laughs> and that's still my number one area. That's where I get most of my calories from. You know, sit on down. My family just gets shocked at how much bread I can consume before they bring the food. I mean, we're sending them back all the time. More bread, more bread, more bread. You're not going to have room to... They don't say that anymore. But every once in a while, somebody will see me eating the bread and say, you're not going to have enough room for the for the meal. Watch me. I will. But I love bread. I love good bread. I like... I, I like gluten. Uh, it's not so much that I like gluten. I like the stuff that it's in. But if if I have somebody and they're passionate about it, I don't make them get on, on my train. They can ride their train. That's all right. But you see, the enemy wants to try and get passions taken so that our passions begin to drive people apart. We can't have that. Passions to drive even married people apart. He's going to take what is a good passion in a marriage, in one person in a marriage, and just have them go in a wrong direction with it and corrupt it to the point that it puts pressure on the marriage. Bitterness begins to come in. You don't want to be having that going on. 
Just because you are passionate about something doesn't mean that it's right. Cain is passionate about some things here, but it doesn't mean that it's right. Without <clears throat> without passion, bitterness can't, can't find its footing. You have to care in order to be corrupted. Now, he says the right sacrifice, if you had the right sacrifice, it would you would do well. But he didn't do the right sacrifice. He wanted to change. He had already been doing the right things. He wanted to change and go in a different direction and expected God just to come along with him. Now, this is, this is how this kind of thing starts off. Cain is doing the right sacrifices. But then the enemy sows in there and says, Do you see all that good fruit that you've got? This is the stuff that you worked on. This is the stuff that is the fruit of your hand. Why are you going to take something that is the fruit of your hand and trade it for something that is the fruit of someone else's hand and make that sacrifice to God? Isn't it more honoring to God to take what is the fruit of your hand and bring it as a sacrifice to God? And eventually he said, you know what? I can see that. I should do this. And so he left what he had been doing to do something different. Because he wanted to do what was best for God and got sold on this. Well, it's okay, but it's not what God has asked to do. We begin to say, my way is good enough. My way is good enough. I want to worship God and all I want to do is this. And we lay out what we're willing to do. That's all I want to do. I won't go any further than that. This is it. And we won't grow past that. My way is good enough. Now, who decides? Who made that decision that your way was good enough? Well, we did. So that means that I'm the ultimate decider. And that means that I'm taking slowly taking the place of God in my life. Don't let that happen. Verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So there was some talking going on. Maybe about the sacrifices. Maybe uh, some conversations about God, whatever it was. But Cain got mad at the position or the stance that his brother was taking or the things that his brother shared. He got so mad, he rose up and he killed him. Do note, that the first murder recorded in the Word of God took place without a gun. (laughs) You can take all the guns and put them away and you will not stop murder because people will find something because they're angry, their passions are fired up and they will find something to do. Before guns were invented, we had many murders on this on this place. Now, guns have prevented a lot of murders as well. Of course, we don't talk about that. So Cain rose up in the field and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, we just have what is written here. We don't have the recorded message. <clears throat> We don't have the words, how he said the words. He could have said them in a couple of different ways. He could have said, I don't know. Where is my brother? 
am I his, am I his keeper? He could have had a lot of sarcasm in it. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? We don't know how he said it to God. But God already knew where he was. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep track of him? And he, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. So this is what happened. We took correct worship that we were doing all of our years. We corrupted it so that now we're going to go pursue that worship, that sacrifice in, in worship. We're going to pursue that, but we're not going to use what we have been using. We're not going to use what God said to use. We're going to use what I want to use and the way I want to do it. And then God said, I'm not accepting that. And then we got bitter. And we got bitter particularly at our brother because our brother's offering was accepted and ours was not. And so we decided that the way to solve this problem was to kill him. I don't know how that would solve the problem. Especially when you figure out that about this point, there's a lot more people on the earth. There's a lot more than two. It's not like we have two people and now... Well, two people, Adam and Eve, two people, Cain and Abel, and now we just reduced the population by 25%. Did not. They have uh, been having babies all along this time. And uh, there, there's a lot more. And you've all heard debate, where did Cain get his wife? You know, you've all heard that debate, right? Where did Cain get his wife? I don't know why people debate these things. It is pretty clear. Where, where, but where did Cain get his wife? Because it says in these verses here in this chapter that he had a wife and they... They had babies, and it names the, the babies. Where did Cain get the wife? And then people come up with some weird stuff about other people being on the earth. No. Where did all the people on the earth come from? Adam and Eve. Everyone. That includes the people with darker skin and the people with lighter skin. That includes Europeans, Russians, Germans, Asians, Africans, South Americans, Americans, Cubans, you name it. They all, if they are on the earth, they all came from Adam and Eve. So no matter what, we are all related. And in fact, you can go back, um, beyond that, you can go back to Noah. Because it was all wiped out from Noah. That's, that's pretty clear in Scripture. If you want to know where Cain got his wife, he married his sister. That's what he did. There's no one else around. <laughs> what else are you going to do? God didn't just come down and supernaturally make a wife for each one of the sons or a husband for each one of the daughters. That's what they did. But of course, the uh, sin had not corrupted all the DNA and all the other aspects of things, so they didn't have... Uh, Nearly the problems they would have uh, today with that, but that's what it was. Probably didn't enlighten too many of you people on that one, but 
So he says, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Now, because of sin, they had to till the ground. But now he says, you're going to till the ground and it's not going to bring the same strength that it did before. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Now, in Romans 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The enemy wants to get you from a spiritual mind into a carnal mind. Because a spiritual mind leads you into the things of God. A carnal mind will lead you out of them. So he did this with Cain. He took him from a spiritual mind, a mind that was passionate for God, a mind that sought after God, a mind that pursued God and corrupted it. So they began to pursue self, self things, not God things. I, I need to pursue what makes me happy, what makes things good for me. In Galatians 22, 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See that part of being conceited, thinking my way is better. Thinking I have to, uh, I'm better than so and so. I want to do it this way, this way is superior. Provoking each other, envying one another. That's not the place we need to go. The enemy wants to pervert what you do to get into the area of envy. To get in the area of provoking, to get into the area of bitterness, to get in the anger area of anger. This is what he wants to try and do and corrupt things. There are times people get in in a worship service and they get angry. I don't like that song, and it stirs up anger passions on the inside of them. I don't like the people who are bringing those instruments in on this. They shouldn't have those instruments in here. I don't like that this is going on, and and they begin angry. See, it's stirring up the wrong passions. You're passionate for something. And you go out there and you, you, you feel like i got to fight for this. Now, Cain has actions consistent with his thinking. He's been thinking over here, Cain or Abel is my problem. God won't receive what I have because Cain's doing something better. I'll get rid of Cain and then he'll receive. No, there's no way that that works, but that's what he's thinking or something along those lines. I put this in your outline. For your wrong actions, motives, and passions need consistent thoughts to sustain them. If I have wrong actions, if I have wrong motives, wrong passions, they need, there's a need there, they need consistent thoughts to sustain them. You've got to be thinking things of bitterness to keep that stuff going on in your life. This is why sometimes the enemy runs the uh, the repeats, just the little flashbacks back to whatever it was that so-and-so did. This is what your husband did. This is what your wife did. This is what your boss did. This is what your co-worker did. This is what your parents did. This is what your siblings did. This is what your friends did. This is the repeat. Learn this again. Go over this again. Because those 
bitter feelings, those angry feelings, those wrong feelings, they need to be sustained. And so we keep thinking these things. Have you ever talked to somebody who's just always bitter? You talk to them, everything comes out of their mouth is bitter, 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 bitter. Because they're constantly thinking bitter things. So whenever you talk to them, bitterness comes out. This is why. They're sustaining all that stuff that's going on. They're sustaining it. You don't want to sustain it. You want to sustain good things. So just like wrong actions, motives, and passions need consistent thoughts to sustain them, the same is true for the right ones. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. This is not a man who has no passion for God. This is a man who has a passion for God, let it get corrupted, and did something completely against God and committed murder. But God still helped him out. He was still there with him. And he still talked with him. And he still helped him come, come about. If you want to worship, and if you want worship to change your life and intensify your relationship with God, your passions need to be correct and your motives pure. To do otherwise will not yield the results that you seek. If you're going around with a motive, I need to bring everybody along to, the way, to worship God the way I do. That's the wrong motive. Don't be following all of those. You need to be, when you get involved in worshiping God and you're focusing on Him, you're in a corporate worship setting like here, or you're at home worshiping God, you need to have everything on the inside of you genuinely worship Him. And be genuine as you are, not as someone else is. I don't need to imitate someone else, but I need to let what is in me, what God has put in me, come out. Some people do some things that we look at that and say, boy, I don't know that I could do that. That's all right. They can. And they can be genuine about it. I, I enjoy watching some people in worship that are genuine. And you can just see, oh boy, they are just so into what they're doing. And I thoroughly appreciate that. This is how we need to go. You've got to expect this out of yourself. You've got to push for this. When you're in church and you're worshiping God, you need to let what is on the inside of you come out. Well, yeah, but if I do that, then someone's going to say, see, you did that. I told you you should do it. Well, first off, that person needs to shut up. Because they're not here to make you to become somebody. You are here on this earth to become what God has called you to be. To let what He put on the inside of you come out. Don't let yourself stifle it. And don't let other people stifle it. Well, God, I would do that. But so-and-so is going to think I'm only doing it because they've been told me to. Don't be hiding behind that. God's not going to, He's not going to buy it. He's going to be able to see through you just like he saw through Cain. It is not uncommon for people to have desires for change without the needed passions to fulfill them. That's not uncommon. That happens all the time. How many times have you talk, heard people 
Oh, I need to eat better. Have you ever heard people say that? Oh, I need to eat better. But they have no passion. Because as soon as the pizza calls them, <laughs> here we are. Right? What's, what's eating better? Well, I should eat more salads. I should eat more vegetables. I should eat more, uh, whatever it might be. And then they walk on by the pizza shop. Oh. See, our passions are for something different. It is not uncommon for us to want a change, but not have the passions to accomplish it. You gotta build up on that passion. You gotta find a way to get that passion on the inside of you. Father God, I want that. And I need the passion. I need the passion. Because just because you want to change, just because you see that a change would be beneficial, just because a change would be good, does not mean you have the passion to get you there. What's it going to take to get you from here to there? When we were younger, we were facing the possibility of graduating from high school. We had a choice. Do I go out to the, to the schools and pursue my education or to go into the workforce? And so some people decided, I'm going to, I want to get into a certain field. I need a degree. And so we went out into the, to the colleges. And I, we have the, the idea is not to become a great college student. The idea is to become whatever it is that you want the college to become. But you had to have the passion to get through all the stuff. Because you had to learn a lot of things. You know, when I was in, in school, you know, if you're a, a Bible major, there isn't a whole lot of liberal arts credits they give you for Bible stuff. About the only things they give you credits for in the liberal arts college for Bible is that, that's, that's applicable is church history, Greek, and um, I think that's about it. So in order to get the credits, you had to take things like sociologies, philosophies, and psychologies. So I took one sociology class. It was okay, but I didn't love it. I took one philosophy class. I hated it. I hated every moment in the philosophy class. This was terrible. And psychology I could live with. It was all right. Had a terrible teacher. Absolutely horrendous teacher who made every moment in the psychology class, sheer pain. But the book was good. I enjoyed the book. It was better reading it than it was hearing him. Church history, I had one of the foremost authorities on church history teach me at college. And if you've ever seen a church history book, I've mentioned his name before, but if you've ever seen a church history book in the bookstores, you will see the name VOS on the, on the side of it. Voss, Howard Voss, wrote so many church history books. He was one of the foremost authorities on church history. He was my instructor and he was boring. He was terrible. I love history. I love church. I love the Bible. I loved all this. I hated that class. I couldn't wait to get out of that class. Then I went down to Rama and had a church history class there taught by Cooper Beatty. Nobody's ever heard of him. He doesn't have his name on any books anywhere, and I learned more from church history from him than all the time I was under Howard Voss. That just didn't, uh, didn't work out too well for me. 
Now, Greek class, I love Greek class. They actually made extra good classes just for me. I was the only one who wanted to pursue it further. Everybody else, two years was plenty of it for them. But you have to have passion to get you through all that. Because there's a whole lot of classes in there that I had to take that I didn't like. I didn't want. And I, to this day, have never used. But you've got to have that passion. I've got to get through this in order to get to the end result that I want. See, that passion will get you through the change. If you're going to have passion to change your diet, if you're going to have passion to change your job, if you're going to have passion to fix your house, if you're going to have passion for that, you've got to have passion enough to get you over the things you don't want to do, over the things that are uncomfortable to do, to get you to the other end, to get you to the other side. The enemy is going to try and find those passions in you and get them corrupted. Get you to not pursue them. Because he knows they would benefit you and they would help you. This is what he did to Cain. But it's not uncommon for people to have desires for change without the needed passions to fulfill them. Those who do will stand out in the eyes of God in the view of the world. If you will develop those passions, you will catch the eye of God. You will stand out in this world. That's a person who has passion. You can shape the right kind of passions in your life. I've, I've told this story a handful of times, I think, but uh, I think I've told it too, too often. But you all know I love to run. It is a passion in me. It is a thing that is in me that it, it just drives me every day. My day is not fulfilled if I didn't get out there and run at least seven, eight, ten miles. Minimum. I, I, just, I, I just love it. If I only got out there and ran five, I feel gypped. If I only had time to do that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not something I try. It's there. It's in me. But you don't always know that in junior high, I went out for the track team and hated running. Hated it. Went out there for the track team, did some stuff, didn't like running. I didn't like the track team. And I gave it up. And in high school, somehow I fell into it again and started to run on my own and, and then built up the passion for it. And running has changed my life in many ways. But, that passion I had to build in me. I wasn't born with it. You're not always born with all the passions that you need. But God has given you a way to get them. You can have a passion to study the Word. You can have a passion to worship God. You can have a passion to pray. You can have a passion to intercede. You can have a passion to minister and to help and to counsel and to encourage. You can have a passion for these things. They may not come out right away. But pursue it. But in this area of worship, the enemy is going to try and get other things about your passion corrupted. He's going to try and take married people who had a passion for each other that drove them together and through the course of time begin to have them become passionate about other things they begin to pull them apart. And they begin to think these passions are from God. Be careful. Because the enemy can slip in. And when you look at Cain, don't look at Cain as some evil man who just wanted to do evil in his life. This is a man who wanted to serve God. This is a man who did serve God. This is a man who wanted to do the best for God, but his passions for worship passion for sacrifice became corrupted 
And what was intended for good was used for evil. Don't think you're above it. God can take your good passions and keep them in a good direction. But the enemy wants to try and take them and turn them into a bad direction. Get you become indifferent in worship. So that you can sit in a wonderful worship service and be thinking about shopping lists without any remorse at all. But if you will allow passion on the inside of you for worship to envelop your entire being and not care about what the person on your left or on your right thinks, but only God. God, I am pursuing you with everything that I have in worship. And I'm going to start right here where I'm at, but I know you will expand me. You will grow me up. And what is on the inside of me will come out and it will be 100% genuine. And it will change you. Just as this changed a person who was a worshiper of God and made them into a murderer. The right passions rightly pursued can make you into the man or woman of God that he's always intended you to be. If you let him. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I know that your eyes look around this earth to find those who will be caught up in the passions of worship, the passions of serving God, the passions of sacrifice, obedience. As we go along, that passion will not always be easy to pursue. There will be some tough times. There will be some times when it seems like it's dry. Father, we just need to press in and pursue you. Because if we become the worshiper like David was, like others were in the Word of God, and we let that worship take over our entire being, we will bring honor to you. We will be honoring you in what we do. And we will be changing ourselves for the better. We will become what you've always intended. We may not have discovered what you want us to be yet. We look at people in the Word and some of them were very old before they discovered who God wanted them to be, what God had called them to do. But when you got them there, and they flourished in that thing. I thank you that you can bring us to a place too, to flourish in the call of God. To allow the passion for worship to overtake us and to change us. Give you the glory and the praise. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Every opportunity that you get at home this week, look to worship. Let that worship come from the inside of you. Let it take you over. Every time you get a chance to worship God with other people, let it take you over. Push everything else aside. Let that passion for God rise up on the inside of you. It will drive out some of those things you've been trying to get rid of. It will ignite your love and affection for God. 
and there is very little that will get in your way to pursuing Him where you've always dreamed that you need to, always wanted to. Some of those things that are just pesky getting in your way suddenly will fall by the side because of this love that you have for God. Love Him with everything in you. Pursue Him. Don't become like Cain. Don't let the enemy take what is good and corrupt it into something bad. Have a good rest of your week. Bless some people before you go. Thanks for joining us here this morning.